welcome to Faith Point, the podcast ministry of First Southern Baptist Church of Prescott Valley with Senior Pastor Carol Eldreth. Our goal is to allow our faith to intersect with real life. So let's join Pastor Carol today as he shares with us from God's Word. I would like for you to go with me back to the 1970s for just a moment. Some of you were pretty old by that that time, no? But a lot of you will remember the 1970s, and you will remember, most likely, a major television campaign that was on during that period of time. And it went into, actually, into the early 80s, and it was an ad campaign based on 7-Up, the brand 7-Up. And they, they billed themselves as what the Uncola. Now, you look at those people up on the right-hand side, if you can see them, with the psychedelic clothes. 50 years ago, 45 years ago, did we dress that way? Some of you did, I know, you just won't admit it. But anyway, that was, that was kind of the thing. That was, they were the uncola, and and. What they, what they really were saying was that all colas came from a nut. There just came from a different kind of nut instead of... It came from lemon and limes. And their, and their, their key phrase was crisp and clean, no caffeine, never had it, and never will. And then there was the guy who was saying that, and then he would laugh. And his laugh was probably as infectious and, and did as much for selling 7-Up as, as, their, as their ad campaigns did. And, and so to this day, as far as I know, they're still the Uncola, and they still have never had caffeine and never will. And there's never been anything like 7-Up, even at that time, except maybe sprite but they didn't mention that one but anyway it was that was that was an important ad that was going around and those ads were really effective because they helped people understand uh, that uh, that in the soft drink wars seven up stood alone and then we come to this same idea not of an uncola but an unsomething else Maybe it's an unwisdom, the unwisdom of God. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've looked at, at chapter 1 at this point. And as we looked at chapter 1, um, Paul um, is beginning to present God's wisdom. He spent a lot of time on the world's wisdom up until this point, and now he's going to talk to us a little bit about the wisdom of God but it's kind of an unwisdom, if you will. The uncola is still a soft drink, isn't it? It was still a kind of cola. God's wisdom is not non-wisdom. It's just not the world's wisdom. It is different than the world's wisdom. It's never had the world's wisdom and never will, if you, if you want to go with that. It is different than what we see. And throughout the first chapter, Paul, remember, spoke about rather dismissively about the world's wisdom. 
He said, it, it's not going to get you where you want to be. It's, you can't trust it. It is not going to lead to life. And so he doesn't, he doesn't say, let's buy into it. Instead, um, he made foolish, he said, the wisdom of the world in chapter 1, verse 20. He said in chapter 1, verse 21, um, that, that his wisdom does not come uh, to a point, or the world's wisdom does not come to a point where you can know God through it. And then we get into chapter 2, and he says, we can't even know real wisdom if we don't know God's wisdom. And so today, that's where we're at. We're going to look at that. Um, but however, uh, he's, he is saying um, that, that there's, he's not diminishing this idea of wisdom altogether. He said, we need wisdom. And, and he said, you know, there are, there are some things about various schools of philosophy, the world's philosophy and thought uh, that the Greeks like to listen to. And he said, some of them contain some brilliant ideas. Some of them had pieces of truth, but none of them had the absolute truth, the wisdom of God. And so... He said, I want you to pay some attention. He's saying, the philosophy of this world cannot bring you into an accurate understanding of the nature of God. If you went to a university, or if you did postgraduate work, if you did, even in high school, the wisdom, the, the philosophies of this world that you were taught were not and do not and cannot uh, bring you to a knowledge of God. It's just impossible for that to happen, Paul says. He says, none of them offered truth. And he says, they don't talk about God's nature. They don't talk about the human condition truthfully. They don't talk about how broken we are. They don't talk about the, the problems that we encounter with our own nature. And so they don't talk about that. And they do not bring to us the truth and the reality of God's redemption. Instead, we see that we're told we don't need redeeming. That we don't need redemption. And so with that as a background, Paul uh, is... is is saying, you know what, there's a fullness that can be found of truth, but that fullness of truth is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. We have to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. He is not some ancient myth of a person who lived so many years ago. He is, in reality, was, was and is a flesh and blood person who lived here 2,000 years ago. And and who walked among us and lived among us. And so he's not dismissing, Paul isn't, this big idea of wisdom. He's just dismissing the wisdom that has been presented so far by popular culture. He just said, culture is not going to get you there. Culture is not going to get you where you need to be. And he said, instead, he wants to endorse God's brand of wisdom. We call that maybe the unwisdom because it is not the world's wisdom. It is nothing like the world's wisdom, and God's not intending it to be like the world's wisdom. God doesn't need the world to tell us what wisdom is. He is wisdom. And so he shares this wisdom that is only his and comes from him, and so that brings us uh, to, to chapter 1, uh, chapter uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. And he says, 
We do not, however, speak speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. And verse 7, he goes on to say, No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So the question that we have to answer is, what is God's wisdom? What is this unwisdom that is so different than the world's wisdom? The wisdom of the world that gets you no place as opposed to the other side, true wisdom that brings you life. What is that wisdom? And the fundamental, it is heard in the message of the cross. Remember last week we talked about the message of the cross in that last third of the first Corinthians chapter 1. And it is in that message that we find the true wisdom. Paul sums it all up for us later on in this, in this book, and we'll get there again uh, someday. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, this is what he says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That, friends, is the message of the cross. That is where we find true wisdom. That's where we find God's unwisdom that is so different than anything the world will tell us. The fact that Jesus died died on the cross 2,000 years ago, that he was raised from the dead, proves that he is who he claimed to be. This was not an accident. This was not a snafu. This was not an uh uh-oh. Jesus came specifically to go to the cross to die and to rise again. And he said over and over again, that's what I'm going to do. I am going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And three days later, I will rise again. And the fact that he did that, and only he did that, only he was able to do that, is proof that the message of the cross is truth. That it is absolute truth. And, and that's what makes... Jesus and God's wisdom unique among all the philosophers and philosophies of this world. Because none of them can get to that point. None of them can see a virgin-born child, never sin, go to the cross, and die and rise again. Every philosopher who has ever lived in the past whether they were a secular philosopher or a theological philosopher, is dead in a grave someplace. Only Jesus rose again. That is the power and that is the proof that Jesus is who he says he will, or is. And he didn't claim to merely know the truth um, or teach the truth. He claimed to be the truth. Look at what he says in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is truth. And if we want to know truth, and if we want to know life, if we want to get to the Father, we only have one avenue, and that is Jesus Christ. That's why the message of the cross is so powerful. And that's why it is our hope and our stay. 
That's why we talk about the cross all the time. It's why we preach the cross. It's why we sing about the cross. The cross is never and was never intended to be a nice little ornament that we wear around once in a while. The cross is our salvation. The cross is our life. It is because of the cross that we have God's wisdom. And that is everything that we need to know about living. If we want to know how to live, we want to know what we're supposed to do, it can only be found in one place, and that one place is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a personal relationship with him. And to be clear, I'm not talking about the church. I'm not talking about a relationship with the church. I'm not talking about having your name on a church roll. Being able to say, I was a member of that church over there, now I'm a member of this church over here. I must be all right with God. No, that doesn't mean anything when it comes to eternity. It is not the message of church membership. It is the message of the cross that provides salvation. And church is important, and it helps us to grow to be who God wants us to be. And I'm glad that you're here. And I'm glad that our church exists and other churches exist. We need churches, that we are the bride of Christ, but we are not the power of salvation. We are not the, bear, we are not the message of God's truth. That is Jesus Christ and who he is and what he came to do. And everything that we need to know about life, everything that you could need to know to effectively live your life can be found in relationship with Jesus Christ. It is not just something that you figure out on Sunday morning and then you go through six more days just listening to what the culture tells you and then you try to come back and fix your head around the cross and then you go back and buy into everything that culture tells you. It is a personal relationship 24-7 with Jesus Christ. Talked to a young man or a younger man, not too long ago in my office, and he said, he said, why is this, why are you so convinced that Jesus is who he said he is? Because I have a personal relationship, I told him. And he said, you're crazy. How do you have a personal relationship with somebody who died 2,000 years ago? Because he's not dead. Because he's alive today. And he was searching, he was trying to figure out, how do I get through life? Because everything tells me that, that I ought to try what they're doing. And I've tried all of it, from drugs and everything else up to this point. And, and he said, my life is a mess. But he wouldn't accept the unwisdom of God yet. Because he wanted it to be neat culturally. He wanted to fit what he watches on TV and what he, what he reads and, and, and what he hears in our society and on the news. He wants it to be like that, and God's wisdom is not that. That's why God's wisdom is the unwisdom as far as the world is concerned. And Jesus is all you need. Notice what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. He said, For I, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and what? Him crucified. He said, all I wanted to know was the cross. He said, I didn't care if I sounded like the philosophers that were running around with you, and, the, and I don't talk about the wisdom that the world gives you, uh, and I don't have all these hoops that you have to jump through like 
the world's wisdom tells you you must. The world tells you, here's the hoops, and if you jump through them, we'll say you're okay. If you choose not to jump through them, we're going to tell you you're broken. And you broke, you, you jump through them, and you're still broken anyway. Because they can't fix anything. They can't put you back together. It is only the cross, Paul said. Um, for those of you who, who use um, version of, of the Bible on, your, on your, either your phone or your computer or your pad or whatever it might be, and, and you look at that, today's verse of the day, there's always a verse of the day, and today's verse of the day is Psalm chapter 39, verse 7. And Psalm 39, 7 says this, um, But now, Lord... What do I look for? That's what the world's doing, isn't it? They're just saying, God, what do I look for? How do I find you? How do I... I've been jumping through all the hoops of society. I've been, I've been trying to do everything culture tells me that I have to do to be culturally relevant. But I'm not finding you there. He said, how do I find you? Where do I look for? And then he says, my hope is in you. Not in the world's wisdom, not in culture, but in the Lord. And so today, as we look more closely at this second chapter of First Corinthians, uh, I want to I want us to consider three aspects or three outcomes, maybe, uh, of God's wisdom at work in our lives. So everything you need to live the life can be found in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It is all there uh, because Jesus is the fullness of God's wisdom. And so there are three ways the wisdom of God makes a startling difference in your life. When you know who Jesus is and you have this personal relationship with him, then you're going to have these things in your life. You're going to have this this kind of a a wake-up, come-to-Jesus moment every day in your life. And you're going to say, wow, I never realized this is what God wanted for me. And so the first thing I want you to see is that God's wisdom brings with it power. It is power. God's wisdom gives you a life of power. Of power. We've been singing about power all morning long. God, uh, excuse me, Paul mentions the idea of power more than one time. He talks about power a lot. But notice what he said in chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 18, he said, For the message of the cross is foolishness uh, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. In verse 24 of chapter 1, he said, to, the, to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So he said, as you come to know my wisdom, you're going to know my power, and you're going to know that through Jesus Christ. Because he is the power and the wisdom of God. And now here in chapter 2, in verses 4 and 5, he goes on to say, My message and my preaching were not with wise and and persuasive words, but with demonstrations of the Spirit's power. He said, I didn't have to be the flashiest and most eloquent of all speakers, as we talked about last week. He said, because I have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit just oozes power. 
And wherever he's working, there is power that is there. So he says, I came to you with the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. He said, I will give you God's power. He said, that's what I come to do. And all throughout Scripture, power is promised to those who surrender their lives to God. When we make that conscious choice to say, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life, and I'm going to surrender my life to him. And so, Father, whatever you want me to do, whatever Jesus tells me to do, whatever the Holy Spirit is leading me to do, I'm going to trust that that's your plan for my life. And when that happens, look at what the Old Testament says. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 through 31, very familiar passage of Scripture. He says, he, talking about God, gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And so Jesus can do what the world's wisdom cannot do. What all the philosophers and philosophies and, and, and those who are gurus of the world will lead you to believe, God says, that's just a bunch of rubbish. God is the one with true power. And he demonstrates it through the cross. And a life surrendered at the cross to Jesus Christ has the power that it needs. And some of Jesus' final words to his followers were also about a power-filled life. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right before he ascends into heaven, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The word power there is dunamis in Greek. It is explosive power. In fact, it is the very word that our word dynamite comes from. Because when they wanted to, the man who invented it said, I need to know what it means to have this t- tremendous power when it explodes. And a theologian told him, well, you want, you want dunamis because that means explosive power. And so something would just blow up everything that we think is re- relevant. He says, that's what my power will do. And again, Paul talks about it uh, in in. And this about experiencing the power of God in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 he says now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us last week I quoted William Barclay the, the commentator and, and it's worth hearing again William Barclay said this he said the gospel was And is power. Power to conquer self. Power to master circumstances. Power to go on living when life is unlivable. Power to be a Christian when being a Christian looks impossible. We all find ourselves in that that paragraph somewhere from time to time. Where it just seems like we can't get out. We won't be able to move forward. We're stuck where we are. And all of a sudden, God's power is there and moves us through to freedom. And to joy. And to peace. And that's important because in order for our, for, to, to live this life, we're going to need power. 
we need that explosive power that we get in Jesus Christ. And, and you'll soon discover that neither the ancient philosophers and their con- or their contemporary counterparts today can deliver that. They just can't. Um, the only help they can give you are some platitudes and maybe a meme that you could put on Facebook or Instagram once in a while. But they can't really deal with power. There's no meme that's going to give you power. There's no platitude that's going to give you power to get through this life. It is only in Jesus Christ that we see that. And that's that's precisely what the gospel does. So when you accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, uh, and the the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, that you are a new creation. Notice that he says in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5 or 17, he says, you are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. You have power, and you don't have that verse on the screen, but that's 2 Corinthians 5.17, and you probably have that memorized already because I've given it to you many times to memorize as your, as your verse of the week. Um, such an important verse, and when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, then that becomes a reality. So what kind of power is it? What is that power? What kind of power is it? It is the power to change. It is not only the power to change, it is the power to conquer sin in your life. It is not only that, it is the power to take control of your thought life um, and abandon uh, the emotional baggage that you just tend to carry around with you all the time. And through your relationship with Jesus Christ, you have access to the power of God. First thing, that God's wisdom do, does is it provides with, for us power. God's wisdom, secondly, gives you a life of promise. It's a life of promise. It's a life of power, but it's also a life of promise that he gives to us. There's a little phrase in verse 7 that's easy to overlook. Read verse 7 with me. He goes on to say, Now we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. I want you to see a little phrase in there, three words, for our glory. You probably read that verse and you thought, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Terrell. I don't see a phrase in there that, that I would overlook. But we overlook that one all the time. Because if you're like me, when I read that, you know what I'm tempted to do and what my inclination to do is, no, God, this is all for your glory. Because aren't that we taught that everything is for God's glory? And so when somebody says, I want to give you glory, we say, no, 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 give that to God. God's the one who deserves the glory. God is the one who who should have the glory. And we think we're being spiritual because it sounds spiritual. And a lot of the times, it's a reality that we ought to be doing, deflecting that, that honor and that glory to God, But in this case, God says, no, you've got it wrong. He said, this is for your glory. I give to you my wisdom for your glory. Well, how does that work out? I don't know about you, but I'm uncomfortable when God says, I'm giving you glory. I'm thinking... 
I don't think I'm a very good example of your glory then, God. Am I going to be put on a pedestal? People are going to look at me? I'm being a pedestal? What's the deal with that, God? That's, That's hard to comprehend. That it is his, it is our glory. He says, this is for your glory, the glory of my people. Some of you know the name Jonathan Edwards, a revivalist preacher way, way back in the beginning of our nation's history. He was preaching up in the in the Northeast, um, and and he was he was he was he was so blind and so had such bad eyesight that this is how he would preach. Because he couldn't, I can't read that because it's too blurry. But he was he was he would put his nose in his Bible and then he was just shaking his hand like this. All right, this is what we're going to do. And he was a, just kind of a, a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Uh, but he did great things uh, that way. And this is what he said. Um, his, his, often he said that God's plan for redemption, the whole point of the universe, in fact, and the entire purpose of all creation was to prepare the church to be the bride of Christ. We are to be the bride of Christ. Now, what kind of a bride does Jesus want? Does he want a broken, no good, torn up bride? No. He wants a pristine virgin bride. And so he said, I'm preparing you to live out your eternity as the bride of Christ. To take this group of misfits, he said, and rebels and sinners, kind of sounds like us, doesn't it? And make them into something beautiful and lovely and pure. Ladies, when you walked down the aisle, most likely you did it in a white gown, didn't you? Saying that you were pristine, that you were lovely, that you were pure. That's what Jesus is doing. He's preparing us That becomes our glory. That becomes the glory of all of us. And it's found in God's wisdom. And that's where the gospel of Jesus Christ stands in great contrast to the wisdom of the world. Because the wisdom of the world is kind of a mishmash. And depending on who you're talking to and when you're talking to them and where you're talking to them, you'll get different answers as to what life is about. So the conversation will go something like, life is rotten, and then you die. Just starts out real, you know, a real high note there. Life's rotten, and then you die. So you may as well enjoy yourself as much as you can. You've heard that before. Get as much as you can, enjoy as much as you can, and then can all the rest. That was the philosophy of the 60s. Or not. Don't do any of that. Since life is so rotten, maybe instead you should just reject every comfort the world has to offer. And, and, and what difference does it make anyway? Because we're all going to die. And then there's nothing. That's the mishmash 
of the world's purpose. That's where everything leads to that society will tell us and culture will tell us. It's rotten, so try to enjoy as much as you can, or it's rotten, and don't worry about it, and just die anyway. Because then there's nothing, and we go into nothingness. But the gospel of Jesus Christ does not agree with that mishmash. Look at what, he, what Paul says in chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. He's talking about heaven. And, and we understand that, to be sure. But he's also talking about more than heaven. He is talking about the culmination of all history in, in, in bringing it into God's eternal now. See, we think about yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But we have a really hard time bringing them together into one. God just says, I am. And everything is an eternal now for God. There wasn't a yesterday and a tomorrow and, and right now. It's just all now. God is always present and he's always working. And, and he doesn't change. And so when Paul's talking, he's talking about God's eternal now. He's talking about heaven, but he's also talking about the life, about how life that we're living at this moment is to be today. He's saying that it's beyond our ability to imagine all that God has prepared for his people, for you and for me right here, right now, in everything that we undergo. In all the problems that we have, and all the illnesses that we have, and all the setbacks that come along, and all the problems that the world gives to us, all the persecutions that take place. He said, it is impossible for you almost to imagine what God is promising. He said, my promises are so much bigger than what we think is disaster. When our life is falling apart, he says, but my promises are real and they're true and therefore right now, the eternal now. He said, whatever is happening, I will pour out all manner of blessings into our lives. And your life has been marked with a promise. A promise of God's presence with us. A promise that you will experience joy, peace. You're going to experience love and purpose and meaning and abundance. It's a promise that, that you will spend eternity in heaven and be reunited with loved ones. It is a promise that you will be made perfect in the image of Jesus Christ and be with him forever. God's wisdom brings promise to our lives. It brings power to overcome, and it brings promise to see us through. And then God's wisdom gives you a life-filled 
with his presence. It is a life of his presence with us. Paul says something that may be hard to imagine. Look at verse 16 of chapter 2 here. And he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, that's your verse to memorize this week, by the way. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? I haven't. Have you? I heard people try to tell God what's truth. And what I figured out is God doesn't pay attention to what they're saying. He doesn't say, oh, thank you. I missed that somehow. No. We don't instruct God. But what is the promise? The promise is that latter part. But we have the mind of Christ. We have his Christ. Could that be true? That we have the mind of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the power of the cross? Can we have his mind? Well, if Scripture's true, then we do. We have the mind of Christ. Can we actually learn to think as Jesus would think? To view the world in the way that Jesus views the world to see our circumstances from his perspective is that possible and the answer is an overwhelming yes it is possible and here's why we have his presence with us always he is always with us there is not a time as a Christian that God is not present with you He is always with you, Christian. He came to indwell you the moment you trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior. The Holy Spirit took up up residence inside of your body. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. He is dwelling within you. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, he is there. And it's, it's like when you have two really close friends, a husband and wife, or maybe two people who grew up together and they finish each other's sentences because they know each other so well. And, you know, there's always that joke about the two buddies that get together and and one will say number four and then they both just bust up laughing. And then one will say number seven and they just both bust out laughing. That's because they know each other's jokes so well they don't need to even tell them anymore. They know each other's minds. We have the mind of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And we get to know the mind of Jesus Christ that way. And if you want to develop the mind of Christ, then let me tell you, spend some time with Jesus in the Word of God. Spend time every day in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. At least read two or three verses. Go there every day and discover the mind of Jesus, what Jesus said, what he did in different circumstances. The Holy Spirit will let you see that you can have that mind too, that that's your mind, and you get to make those kinds of choices. We have the mind of Christ because we have the Spirit 
of Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit living within us in every day of our lives, and we have the Holy Spirit there to guide us. And that's why Paul says about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God, he says, we have not received the spirit of the world in verse 12, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand that God, what God has freely given us. He said, I don't have to try to figure out the world's wisdom because it's not going to get me anywhere anyway. I have the mind of Christ. And as I get to know Christ better and better and better, I get to make decisions that are based on his mind. Mind that brings life, that brings power, that brings joy, that brings peace. And that's why Paul said in verse 13 that when he came, he said he spoke in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. And since we have the Spirit of God living in our spirit, we can experience the presence of God throughout the day. All day long, we have the mind of Christ. And that's important because of, we need his presence more than ever. There's a former Sur- Surgeon General here in the United States, Vivek um, H. Murphy, and he said during his years of, 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 of caring for patients, the most common pathology he saw was not heart disease or diabetes. Um, it wasn't any of those things. You know what it was? He said, the most common pathology I saw in people was loneliness. It was loneliness. This is what he said. Loneliness is a growing health epidemic. We live in the most technologically connected age in the history of civilization, yet rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s. When you walk out these doors... You're going to be interacting with people who are lonely. Lonely people. Some of you in here today may feel extremely lonely. Loneliness is all around us. Mitch Albom wrote the book, The Five People You Meet in Heaven. I don't know that he was right on most of it. But one thing he said rings true. The only time we waste is the time we spend thinking we are alone. If you are Christian, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you do not have to be lonely because you're not alone. You can be married with a large family and feel lonely. You can be single and feel lonely. But if you are doing that, you're wasting precious time. Because if you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, he is with you always. He is never away from you. He is always present with you. And his presence defeats the loneliness if you get to know the power of his wisdom. If you get to know the promises of his wisdom. If you stay in tune with the presence of the Holy Spirit living within you. You're going, not, you're going to know that there is something that beats that loneliness. 
Throughout the scripture, we're told we can rely on God's assurances of his promises. Remember, not too long ago, we went through, I did a sermon series with you on the promises of God. And we figured out God never reneges on a promise. He always comes through with whatever he says he will do. And so in Isaiah 41, verse 10, this is what he says he will do. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And among the very last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended into heaven was Matthew twenty-eight twenty, And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. You are never alone when you know Jesus Christ. Just like the lemon and the lime, combining together to create a new kind of soft drink that industry had not previously conceived of being able to do, and it became the Uncola. The simple story of a small town Jewish rabbi has become the most has become the source of a new kind of wisdom that the world cannot conceive of, that the world can't understand on its own, that most of the world chooses to reject, has come. And like that uncola, it is the unwisdom. It is the opposite of what the world expects. The wisdom of the world, when you follow its progression, and it's lot to its logical, logical conclusion is that life is meaningless. It's cheap and it's insignificant. God's wisdom says it is just the opposite. Your life is full of meaning. It is full of purpose. It is not irrelevant. It is not insignificant. And it definitely is not cheap. You are so valuable to God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place. The pay, the penalty for your sin so that you might live in the wisdom of God, that you might know the power of the cross to experience all of those promises that God has given to you and to know that from this moment forward, he is always in your presence and you will always be in his presence. In God's eternal now, both today and throughout eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your grace and your goodness in showing your love and pouring it out for us who are sinners, who didn't deserve any of it. And then you tell us it's for our glory that we come to salvation to be the very bride of Jesus Christ. To one day be presented to him as Jesus is. To be like our Savior. To be in his presence now and forever. Father, I pray for that one today who has never trusted Jesus to be Savior and Lord. 
whose life has maybe fallen apart and they don't know how to get out from underneath of the wreckage. They feel like they're doomed, that nothing good could ever happen again, if it ever happened at all. But there's no sense in even looking for a tomorrow. Father, let them to know, let them know right now that all of that is a lie. That that's the lie of Satan who would keep them broken down and eventually lead them to a place of eternal damnation and suffering. Father, let them hear the message of the cross. Let them hear the wisdom of God that is not the wisdom of this world. It is the unwisdom. It is the wisdom that brings life because it is Jesus Christ. Father, let them experience that personal one-on-one, 24-7 relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship that will see no end. Father, today, let them confess their sin. Let them ask for forgiveness. Let them trust Jesus Christ. Let them say at the cross, I am yielded to him for whatever he wants to do in my life. I want to know Jesus. I want to know life. Thank you that you'll answer that prayer, that you will give salvation. Father, for those of us who have forgotten, who have forgotten what it is to be new in the faith, we've forgotten what it is to trust Jesus, we've forgotten the power, we've forgotten the promises, and we even forget that he is with us, we don't even know that he is present anymore, forgive us help us to recapture the wisdom of God that brings victory, we pray these things in the name of our victorious Savior, Jesus Christ Amen, let's stand together as we stand and sing. If God's speaking to you today and you want to respond, if you want to trust Jesus to be your Savior, or maybe you just did, won't you come and tell us that? If you're online, you can get a hold of us this week and be glad to share with you how you can grow as well. And so we want to pray with you. We want to help you to know what it means to be a believer. As we sing, you come. Thank you for joining us today for Faith Point. Reach us online at firstsouthernpv.org or stop by to worship with us if you are in the Prescott Valley area. May God richly bless you today as you allow your faith to intersect with your life.